we continue today in our series on um, the prodigal son working through AHA, and, and uh, we've, we've been um, tracking through the text in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. It's a story we probably know well uh, about the prodigal son, and it's a story that Jesus tells that's meant to engage hearts and draw people in as to the mercy and grace of the Father, so that when we have wandered away, we know that God is good and gracious to always be working to draw us back. And so there's, there's some profound things that have been happening here. And as we've tracked through this, uh, we've seen the prodigal um, bravely, brazenly, um, and, and stupidly, demand his inheritance from his father before his father's death. Basically saying to his father, thank you for providing for me, but now I wish you were dead because I want what's mine. I want the freedom to explore. And and then he wanders away, and then we've seen him in the distant land where um, there is pleasure all over the place. And we said that, that, you know, every aha story starts with a journey to the distant country. And when we're on our way to the distant country, you know, there's not a whole lot that starts off sad about that in our eyes. Because it seems good. And it seems enjoyable. But eventually, what happens is the reality of sin catches up to you. And we know from Scripture that the wages of sin are death. And um, sin is crouching at our door and it's waiting to own us. And, and then we find ourselves in the distant country where we're alone and we're broke and we're empty. And we know it. And that's where we get to step one of aha, which is this sudden awakening. It's the sudden awakening. It's the moment where I see something that has always been true, but I'm just now, for whatever reason, I'm seeing it, I'm experiencing it. It's this real thing that all of the sudden I get. It's this sudden awakening, okay? Um, and today we, we move on from that. We get to the next part, and it's time to realize that sudden awakenings are nice, but aha takes all three parts. Take a look at this, right? You get sudden awakening, you need brutal honesty, and it has to happen with immediate action. And if we skip any of those steps, if the prodigal skips any of those steps, if we skip any of those steps, what we're going to find is that we short-circuit this thing that God wants to do in our lives. By the way, we call this the God moment, where God wants to take your brokenness and he wants to do something with it to bring you back home. That's the whole point of this. The the other fancy word that we might use for this is transformation. God wants to transform your your heart and your life. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you're a new creation um, when you're in Christ, that that you are actually spiritually born again into some one else. That's God's intention. But you still have all of this junk from your old life. And in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is this transformation that happens so you can let go of who you were and you can become who you are. And for that to happen, there has to be this brutal honesty. You ever learn something about yourself? And once you learn something about yourself, man, you just can't unlearn it. You, you just can't forget that you know it. But what happens is you have to do something with it. It's not just that you're understanding. If it's going to do anything in your life, it, you, you've got to be honest. Uh, Kyle Eidelman in the book, Aha, which, which we're working from, 
tells the story of uh, Frank Craddock. Frank Craddock is, he, he's about 80 now, but, but Frank Craddock was, was um, an evangelist preacher, okay? And uh, a few years back, CNN did a, a, an article, a story on, on Frank Craddock about um, his toughest convert, uh, and it was his father, Frank Craddock Sr. Uh, and uh, so even as a pastor, when, when uh, Frank Jr. Would, would talk to his dad about um, Christianity and matters of faith, uh, his dad would, would say, I don't, I don't want any part of that. When local pastors in the small town that they lived would come visit him and call on him, he, he would um, not so politely dismiss them. And he would, he would tell his son, look, I know what the church wants. The church wants another member for its roles and another check for its offering plate. And so he was convinced that all the church wanted was, was his, his body and his bucks. That's all that the church wanted. Um, and, and so he lived his life with this staunch realization that, that the church wanted nothing. God had nothing for him. Um, but then, you know, he got sick. Um, and he, he ended up with cancer. And... Uh, the article tells the story that, uh, that Frank Jr.'s mother called him and said, hey, it's time. You, you need to come visit your dad. And so Frank Jr. went to the VA hospital in Memphis, Tennessee to, to visit his dad, and who had, had wasted away to about 73 pounds, who couldn't speak, could barely breathe, um, and, and was just struggling, and was at the end. And um, and Frank Jr. had found out that, that even though he didn't belong to, to a church, that, that uh, one of the, the smaller local churches um, in that area had been visiting with Frank, uh, popping in at the hospital, praying with him, bringing him treats, um, and, and that uh, it had melted his heart a little bit. And as, as Frank Jr. sat and talked with his father, his father wrote on a Kleenex box because he couldn't talk, um, something to indicate that he wanted his son to tell his story. And so Frank leaned in and, and just said, okay, dad, what's your story? And he scribbled three words on the Kleenex box and the three words were simple. And it just said this, I was wrong. And so here's the reality. You can have all the realizations you want, but unless you're willing to be honest you know, maybe the church isn't so bad. Maybe my life doesn't make sense. Maybe I'm about to die and I know it, but none of it works. None of it makes sense unless you're willing and able to say, I was wrong. And this is where aha is short-circuited for so many people. Many people, most people, let's, let's just be honest. Most people that have a sudden awakening, because sudden awakenings, as necessary as they are and as, as awesome as they can be, they are not uncommon. They're not uncommon. We are smacked in the face with sudden awakenings all the time. But it's the rare person that will do the hard next step of looking in the mirror and being honest with yourself about where you are. You know what this is a lot like? This is a lot like um, getting a bill in the mail that you know you can't pay. So what do you do? You just don't open it. Your, your spending is out of control and you know that you have charged and charged and charged on your credit card. And so the visa bill comes in the mail and you don't even open it because you don't want to see the reality of what's happened. You have this awakening. The bill comes in the mail and I know something that has always been true and I'm looking at the envelope and I'm saying, oh my goodness, I, don't, I have spent so much on this credit card. I have leveraged myself and I just throw it away. 
And some of you, boy, some of you that are so type A are thinking, oh my God, why would he do that? But some of you have done it. Maybe it wasn't the visa bill. Maybe it was something different. But some of you have done it. Like You're like, oh my goodness, what in the world would you do? Why would... Because that's what we do. Brutal honesty is hard. It's the hardest part of aha, I think, is being able to look in the mirror and tell ourselves the truth. But the reality is it's what we have to do, and it's what the prodigal does. Okay? It's what the prodigal does. We're going to look at the rest of the story, not the rest of the story, but the next chunk of the story here. And, and it starts in Luke 15, 17. Okay? Um, actually, it started in Luke 15, 17 last week, but in Luke 15, 17 last week, we looked at this beginning part. When he finally came to his senses, when he had this sudden awakening, he came to his senses. But that's not enough. It needs another step. When he came to his senses, he said to himself, and when he says to himself, that's the beginning of this brutal honesty that's necessary. See, here, here's the deal. Um, he's not crazy, by the way. There's nobody else there, and he knows it. There's nobody else in the pig pen with him. Oh, there's pigs in the pig pen with him. But there's nobody else there, right? He's not talking to a buddy. He's not talking to him. He is very clearly talking to himself here. He has this sudden awakening. He comes to his senses, and, and instead of just wallowing in the pig pen or sitting and soaking in the sorrow and in the shame, he, he says to himself, hey, this is a problem. He, he, he has kind of this moment. And this is where, again, this is where we struggle so much, right? What happens is we get in the pig pen and, and it's very easy to say, this did not work out the way that I wanted it to. Huh. Wow. Take a look around. This didn't work. It's really easy to sit in the pig pen and, and look around and go, huh, I wonder how I got here. It's difficult to sit in the pig pen and say, I can't believe I did this to myself. And this is why the prodigal's aha story is so different than the thousands of aha stories that start and maybe different than some of the aha stories that you've been messing with and certainly different than some of the aha stories that I've been messing with because what happens is we understand where we are, but instead of saying, I did this to myself, we are really good. We are really good at trying to figure out why it was done to us or how it was done to us or what happened. Okay? And, and we're going to see this as we get into the text, but, but there's more. Let's, let's finish the, the chunk here. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. See, what, what we love about the prodigal's response, the brutal honesty, is nobody gets blamed for this except himself. And here's the deal. If we're really honest, there were probably a lot of people that wronged him. I mean, if we, if we read between the lines in the story, there are people that wronged him. When he was rich, he had more friends than he could count. Now that he's broke, there is nobody around. The people that easily and wantonly took from him openly and freely, they were give me, give me, give me, and they took everything he offered as he tried to buy their friendship and buy their uh, their loyalty, 
Now that there's nothing left to give, they're gone. He probably has plenty of people that he could blame in this because other people in his story aren't innocent. And so here's something that we have to understand. We do this. Okay? We're going we're gonna to get into this a little bit more because it's something Satan wants to do to us. But, but he, to start with, he is very clear and very obvious that he has done this to himself. He could waste time pushing at other people, pointing out other people's faults, showing where other people have made a mistake. But instead what he does is he says to himself, he is so painfully honest with himself, he says, I will go home and say this, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I'm going to ask you a hard question. When was the last time you looked in the mirror? Or you looked down at your journal as you were writing in it? Or you, you studied hard the words of Scripture as you read, like seriously read? And you just were that brutally honest with yourself to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Here's what I'm going to say. Aha doesn't really happen until you're able and willing to do that. And you know what's interesting? God already knows anyway. Like, like, we are really so bad at that. We are so bad at saying, hey, God, by the way, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We like to push it on other people. And, I mean, we love that, right? We're like, well, yeah, I know that, that my husband needs me to be supportive and encouraging and respectful, but, man, he drives me crazy, and so it can't possibly be my fault. You're like, you know what? I know that my pornography addiction has caused a wedge between my wife and I, and, and my sexual sin is starting to harden my heart towards my wife, but you know what? She's not sexual enough for me. And so we have this sudden realization, but we hate the brutal honesty because the honesty hurts, and the honesty makes it about us. And we hate that part, and that's why it dies. But here's the thing. God knows it all anyway. Who do you think you're kidding? Look what he says, Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. You know what that tells us? It tells us that there is nothing that is in your heart that God is unaware of. Let me take that a step further. You can hide things from me as your pastor. You can. You could hide things from your wife. You could hide things from your husband. You could hide things from your children. You can hide things from your employer. You can hide things. Look, I, I'm going to say something that, that might hurt some of us parents. You can hide things from your parents for a minute. just for a minute. You can do that, but you can't hide anything from God. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows where you're at. 
He knows where you struggle. He knows where you need support. He knows where the weight of the world is crushing up against you, and he knows where your shame is so big. He knows where your shame is so great that it feels like it crushes you. He knows that. He's aware of that. And he calls you home anyway. I have no idea why you're hiding from this guy. I have no idea why people hide from a God of the universe who loves them so much that even though he knows everything about their hearts and everything about their minds and everything about their behavior and everything about their sin, and he calls them home anyway, why you would hide from him? But we do. And we think, well, if I don't admit it, God can't know it. If I don't utter the words, God won't hear it. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are all accountable. Adam tried it. Eve tried it. Remember in the garden, they, they sin, they partake of the fruit. God said, eat everything you want, enjoy the best of life. I've put this fence in so you can live freely in the yard and have fun. Just don't go outside the fence because I know what's best for you. But, but Adam and Eve decide, you know what? God doesn't have our best in mind. He's trying to hold us back. So they eat the fruit and all of a sudden sin has come and they're ashamed of their nakedness before God. So what do they do when he is walking through the garden saying, hey, Come walk with me like we always do. Let's be close and intimate and personal and let's spend time together. And they are so ashamed that they hide. But God knows. Their hiding from him doesn't stop the reality of the fact that God knows their heart. He knows what's happened. And he is calling them out. Brutal honesty. And do you ever wonder what would have happened in the garden. What would have happened in the garden? How might it have gone differently if when God calls them out and says what happened, instead of passing the blame, instead of making it somebody else's fault, instead of pushing it on, if, if this sudden awakening of I have sinned against the God of the universe had been followed with brutal honesty that fell on the knees and said, oh my God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I can't believe that I made this mistake. Have mercy on me. A sinner, I'm not worthy, but let me come home. But that's not what happened. It's not what we do either. We push it off, and we push it off, and we push it off. But listen, God knows, and, and, and this, is, this, is, this is such a critical part of aha and transformation of this God moment that'll change your life. Listen to me. Conviction, that's God's part. But aha, that's the sudden awakening. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you have a sudden awakening, we talked about this last week, that is God blaring an alarm in your life so that you will wake up and you will hear the alarm and you will come to your senses. And that's great. And that's necessary. It is a necessary step for aha. But God is not going to do this for you. This next part is yours. And this is why the alarm sometimes has to get louder and louder because God sounds the alarm and the next part is yours and you don't want to, so you hit the snooze button. And I promise you that nine minutes later, nine minutes, it's not really enough time. Although it sometimes is too much time. Depends on what you have to go on that morning. But you hit the snooze button and nine minutes later, there's another alarm. And if you have one of those fancy alarms, this time it's louder and more obnoxious. 
because God's alarms get more serious and more serious and more serious. And God will do his part. He will keep sounding the alarm in your life. And it might be the words that I, we talked about this last week, but I feel compelled to tell you again, it might be the words that I say to you. It might be the gentle encouragement of somebody that loves and cares for you that comes alongside and says, oh, time out, you're making a mistake. It might be getting tossed in jail for a DUI before it's too late. It might be your wife catching you flirting before she catches you with something else. I mean, I I don't know what the alarm is, but the alarm happens and the alarm sounds. And when the alarm sounds, that's God doing his part. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart that is giving you this sudden awakening. But the next part is all you. The next part is you. The next part happens when you will look in the mirror and you will be brutally honest, and that is confession. That's your part. Confession is what happens when you tell God. And can I, can I just clarify that there is a real big difference between confessing and being sorry? Right? When you confess your sins, it has this whole other connotation. Um, you know, when you apologize, you're basically saying, I am expressing regret and I am sorry that you are hurt or offended. I'm a great apologizer that way, by the way. Carrie will get upset and I will say, Carrie, I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. And it's just close enough that sometimes it works. Because I am genuinely regretful that her feelings are hurt. I regret that her feelings got hurt. It's her fault that her feelings got hurt, but I regret it. Right? I didn't want her to feel that way. I feel bad about the fact that she feels that way. That's apologizing. But listen to me. When you confess, when you confess, hey, I'm sorry that I was wrong. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. I'm sorry, and it is all on me. And there is a significant difference between an apology and a confession. There's a significant difference between apology and confession. And I I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but listen, you got to know this. This is why this is so hard. This is so hard because it takes it takes you looking in the mirror. The Holy Spirit convicts, but a confession comes from you. The Holy Spirit is the one that says, hey, hey, you know what? Man, you are a stranger in your own home. Your wife and kids, they don't know you. That is conviction. What you do with it is on you. Confession is necessary. And can I give you um, a piece of advice that you're going to ignore because you won't like it? Or you're going to work really hard to hear what I'm about to say as a negotiable instead of a non-negotiable? You've got to tell somebody. When you're at the point of aha where conviction is God's part leads to the desire to confess, which is our part, There is something so profoundly important about telling somebody. Yes, you need to confess to God. But you need to tell somebody. 
It's what James says. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When you pray, when you pray honestly, when you pray openly, when you pray, um, that's great. You're saying, God, I confess my sins and God hears you. But when you confess to somebody else who prays with and for you, Here's what I'm reading here. The prayers of a righteous person have great power and produce wonderful results. And in this scenario, when I'm praying about my brokenness, I'm not the righteous person right there. That's not me being righteous. I mean, yes, it is good for me to confess my sins and pray to God. But in that scenario, what I'm reading and what that intention, what James is telling us is when I tell somebody else my sin and then somebody else prays with me and for me, that theirs is the prayers of the righteous person, which has great power and produces great, wonderful results. Do not do this alone. Here's, I will go so far as to say this. When you come to a sudden awakening conviction in the distant country. When that happens to you and you look in the mirror and you start to be honest and you start to enter into this season of confession, the odds that you will move away exponentially increase when somebody else is aware of your confession besides just you and God. When somebody else is aware of your confession, when somebody else is aware of your brokenness, when somebody else is aware of your sin, somebody that you trust to hold you accountable, when you give them permission to ask the hard questions and you give them permission to say the hard things and you give them permission to hurt you when they have to, we've talked about this many, many times, this level of accountability, this level of relationship that you need in the church. You can't have it for me all the time. And that's where a lot of you want to live. A lot of you want to live in this place where you get that from me, and that's great. If I happen to be saying something that pierces your heart on a Sunday morning, that's awesome. But you need something personal. You need something more. And I can't give that to 200 of you. I can give it to some of you, the some of you that are in my small group, the some of you that, that I've entered into those relationships with, I, I can, and you have to give it to me too because I need it as well. But you need to find this level of accountability. You cannot say, well, I come to church on Sunday morning and it's all good. I'm at church, so I hear everything I need to hear. No, man, you, you need, because when you confess your sins to somebody else, this is what James is talking about, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you can be healed. Right? And when you do that, right, the earnest prayer of a righteous person, right, that has great power and produces wonderful results. You need to find your person. You need to find your group of people. You need to find, it's kind of a culturally goofy word, but you need to find your tribe, right? I say that, and, and, and some of the women who are in those, they're like, oh yeah, tribe, I know exactly what that means. Some of you men are like, that's weird. Okay, women, you need to find your tribe. Men, you need to find your huddle. Whatever. But here, here's what you need. You, you need this. And some of us want to skip this. And aha, your God moment, your transformation, it doesn't work because, because conviction comes from God, but confession is your part. And when you confess your sins to other people, there is movement. Okay? All right, so we're going to break apart the text here piece by piece. We're going to do this pretty quickly, and you're going to see uh, there are three components 
three keys to this kind of honesty, this brutal honesty that we're talking about. The prodigal shows us all three of them. They are necessarily parts of this. And Satan, because Satan is, Satan is the enemy of your soul. Satan wants you to get this wrong. Satan wants you to stay stuck. Satan wants you to ignore the conviction. And Satan wants you to stay put. And so we got to be really careful about this. Let's look. So first thing, Luke 15, 17, the prodigal is honest about his circumstances. We've talked about this one before. It won't take long. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. He is brutally honest about where he is, right? I am in a pig pen, and I am starving, and I am dying, and I am brutally honest about it. I am honest about my circumstances. Sometimes we don't like to be honest about our circumstances. We like to sugarcoat our circumstances, and it feels better when we sugarcoat our circumstances. But in those rare moments where we're really honest about where we are, there is great potential for what's next. I was saying this to these guys up front, like, I had a wedding on Friday, and then I had a funeral on Saturday that I was officiating, which meant I had to wear a suit twice in two days. And for those of you that know me well, no, I am not a big fan of suits. I am especially not a big fan of suits that I don't wear very often that apparently don't fit anymore. And here's the thing. I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. I got fat. You're looking at me every Sunday. You're going, yeah, I get it. But I didn't. You know why? Because nobody goes from A to Z willingly. Nobody goes from A all the way down to Z thinking, you know what? I want to be in a pig pen. They don't do that. But you know what they do? They go from A to B pretty easily. And then they'll walk from B to C pretty easily. And then the next thing you know, you're all the way down here at Y, and you don't know what happened, and you get sucked right in. See, I haven't wore that suit since the last time I did a funeral. And probably then it didn't fit real well either. Right? But it's baby steps. See, I know I was in trouble when, when we're, we're laying there last night in bed and Carrie says, hey, by the way, we need to go shopping. I said, what? Okay, why? I thought she's like, well, I, you know, I need a new rug or I need this. She's like, you need a new suit. I'm like, right, there you go. There's a sudden awakening. But you know what? Sometimes we don't like to be honest about our circumstances and Satan will sidetrack us with denial every step of the way. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, right? And he does it in three ways, right? Like there's, there's three little things here about denial. One is if he can get us to disagree. Like I love this when people sit in my office and they're like, well, I know the Bible says that, but, but um, I just disagree with it because, well, this is what I want to do. So we just disagree, right? Or uh, they defend, right? Like when somebody would say to me, hey, Matt, how's your health? And I'd be like, I don't know. How's your theology, right? Like, like, well, that's not awesome either. Or distract. You know, workaholics. You get a promotion, and all of a sudden it feels like it's working. You're distracted to thinking it, it's working, so you're in denial about how bad it's really gotten that you're never home. 
right? But Satan wants to get us stuck in denial. Denial is where we refuse to acknowledge that this happened. We've, we refuse to acknowledge where we are. Keeps going. The second part here is in uh, 1518. Uh, and you have to be honest about what brought you here. And this is, this is the gut-wrenching part too. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. So the prodigal says, hey, I'm going to be honest about why I'm here. And I'm here because I have sinned. But you know, Satan wants us to project He wants us to blame everybody else. We would say here, I will accept my reality, but because it's not my fault, I won't accept the responsibility. Right? So what happens when we're not honest is is we'll say, well, yeah, 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 I get it. Yes, that happened, and I'm here, and so this is the reality of where I am. This is my circumstance, but it's not my fault. So what can I do about it? Right? I mean, I knew I shouldn't be in this kind of relationship, but, you know, um, I was, and it was going to be great, and then this happened. So, well, what can I do? You know, here I am. What can I do now? Right? Or I knew that I probably um, should spend more time at home, and I should spend more time at home, and I should spend more time at home, and then I came home, and, and my spouse and kids were gone. You know, they did that. I didn't do that. There's nothing I can do about it. Right? So we accept the reality of where we are, but we refuse to accept responsibility for where we are. Satan is really good at this one. If you're honest and you look in the mirror, a lot of times we are really good at saying, yeah, okay, man, this got bad. <sighs> Nothing I can do about it, though. Not my fault. Circumstances. You know what it was? My parents were so controlling. What was I supposed to do? How was I supposed to end up? Right? Like, well, there, there's a history of addiction in my family. So, I mean, I guess I never really had a chance. You know, I, I mean, you know, my husband's gone all the time. So why wouldn't I start to flirt with the guy down the street? My wife's always nagging. Why wouldn't I go try to find some, some um, respect and, and, and affection somewhere else? And so what happens, what happens is, Sometimes we're really good at acknowledging where we are, but we're really bad about acknowledging and accepting our responsibility for where we are. Satan is really good at getting us to push it off on somebody else. But aha happens when we will say, hey, I was wrong and I've sinned. All right, last one here, Luke 15, 19. We have to be honest about the consequences. We have to be honest about what our circumstances, and we have to be honest about the fact that it's our fault that we're in this circumstance, and then we have to be honest about the consequences for it. Consequences are a weird thing for Christians. Consequences are a weird thing for Christians because here's what happens. We know that when we confess our sins to God, God is gracious to forgive. And so as soon as we confess, I think we've talked about this before, but actually your sins are forgiven as a Christian, as somebody that is made new in Christ. When I make a mistake and when I sin, God does not hold that sin against me. I might feel strained between God and I, but the sin isn't held against me. And as soon as I confess, God is gracious to accept my confession and our relationship is restored to the way that it should be. The thing is, sometimes I think that should be, that should be it. 
Like, okay, well, I've confessed. God forgives me. I don't have to worry about it anymore. The problem is oftentimes there are worldly consequences, and God never promises to take away your worldly consequences. God's never promised to do that. There are times that God is gracious to spare you from your stupid. Call that the mercy of God. I think we talked about this way back when. I pray mercy over myself and my kids on a regular basis because I am oftentimes dumb. And my children sometimes aren't the most thoughtful. And so we do things that aren't wise. And so sometimes my prayer is, God, have mercy on our dumb. Right? Just like the kid that runs out in the middle of the street without looking. If a car hits that kid who ran out in the middle of the street without looking, we can't be shocked that a car hit a kid that ran out in the middle of the street without looking. We can't be shocked. But oh my goodness, we pray mercy so that when our kids do dumb and they run out in the street without looking, that perhaps they won't get hit by a car. But we get confused. And sometimes God grants that. Sometimes God is merciful that way. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes he allows consequences for our actions. That's not on him. That's on us. But this gets so messed up in our heads because we think, well, God has forgiven me, so why am I still stuck here? Well, you're still stuck here because you're dealing with the consequences of your behavior. The prodigal has to be honest about that. And so here's what he says. This is why this is so profound here. He says, you know what? I am in the pig pen. That's real. I'm starving to death. It's my fault that I'm in the pig pen because I sinned against heaven and against you. That's legit. And now he gets to this other part to say, hey, and you know what? I'm going to be honest about the consequences of my behavior. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. I might be worthy to be a hired servant. But we got to be honest about the consequences. And I'm not saying that's how God's going to view you. There's a great thing that's going to happen. You know the end of the story. There's a great thing that's going to happen about the grace and unadulterated love, reckless love of God. And we're going to focus in on that, and it's going to be great. But for right now, know this. you got to be honest about the consequences. The prodigal knows that when he returns home, he's going to return home to a father that is hurt and burdened because of the way that he was treated. He's going to return home to a brother who is jealous and angry. He is going to return home to neighbors who will be judgmental and will know every mistake he has made. The consequences are real. But you know, here's the reality of where the the prodigal finds himself sitting in the pig pen the consequences that he knows he's going to face are so much better than the consequences he's facing now that he is going to gladly choose them. And he's going to throw himself at the mercy of the Father, and here's the deal. It's going to be better than he could have ever even imagined. But we got to be honest about the consequences, and Satan wants us to minimize here. Satan will try hard to get us to minimize that it's not that big of a deal. It didn't really make that big of a mistake. It doesn't really matter. That's like when, when we really screw up at home, fellas. We really screw up at home, and we tell our wives we're sorry, and we're ready to move on. You've been there. I know you've been there. You're ready to move on. You're like, I apologize. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal it was, I'm minimizing how bad my sin was, and I had no right to, to snap that way or to speak that harshly, and, and, and why should anybody have to deal with that? And just because I say I'm sorry doesn't mean it ends, right? It means that I have confessed, but sometimes 
you know what? It's, it's not a matter of me just saying I'm sorry and then everybody else has to be done with it. Sometimes it's not a matter of me just saying I'm sorry and then the consequence disappears. Sometimes these things linger and there's consequences that we have to, to make up for. But being brutally honest means I know that and I'm aware of that and I understand that and I don't hide from it. And so here's, here's the thing that we're, we're going to talk about as we end here real quick. I don't know where you are this morning, but I know that each of us probably has some mirror looking to do. And I know that, aha, this God moment, this transformation, this can't work in your life unless you are willing to look in the mirror. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be aware. It's not enough just to wake up in the distant country you got to be willing to own it, to be brutally honest about where you are, and to work it. you got to be honest about what got you here, and you got to be honest about what you're going to do to get out of here. And it starts with honesty, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you don't close your eyes, I'm not going to be, like, mad at you, but if you close your eyes, it'll be better, because I want you to really concentrate on what I'm going to say. It's not on the screen. You just need to hear my words. And I want you to honestly, looking in the mirror, I want you to answer these questions, yes or no, or if they're yes or no, or answer them with a time if you can even remember. Did you spend more time this week on Facebook or in prayer? When was the last time you told somebody, I love you? How specifically have you helped someone in need in this last month? When was the last time you said to somebody, I was wrong, please forgive me. It's on your DVR at home. It's on your computer history. When was the last time you erased your computer history just in case? Can you name one missionary that you pray for regularly? What sin have you not confessed to God? What sin have you confessed to God but you're trying to carry alone because you haven't confessed it to somebody else? When was the last time you sat with an open Bible? Did you spend more money this month eating out than on advancing God's kingdom? When was the last time you cried over your sin? Heavenly Father, God, we just, um, we come before you and, and with these questions, and there's so many more questions that we could ask that could, that could prick and poke at our hearts. But God, as we look in the mirror and we answer these questions, we ask you to help us with conviction. That's your part. God, sound the alarm in our lives before we get to Z, before we get to the distant country. I don't know what step we're on, God, but I know it's too far away from home. And so sound the alarm. Bring conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, and give us the courage to look in the mirror and be brutally honest, to confess our sins to you and to one another 
so that we can start to have this moment that changes everything, this transformation, so that we can be different than we are, that we can be who you've called us to be, that we can experience this new life that you've given us in the fullest. God, help us with that. Father God, we just love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the ways that you've blessed us. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just ask you to do a work in us. Cause us honesty. Cause us to be honest. Cause us to come to our knees in confession. Cause us to to share our struggles with one another so that together we can grow strong. There is power and, and, and grace in the prayers of our brothers and sisters. God, help us to move forward. We love you. We praise you. Amen.